Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome in to another edition of Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald with Ralph Sampson. He's the namesake. And Ralph, great to see you today. Wonderful guest coming up. I, I, it would take me all show, I think, to read his resume, but truly one of the sports icons. And all you have to know is Pat Williams, uh, you know, went to Wake Forest, migrated through team after team, played professional baseball, then became one of the leading general managers in the sport, Philadelphia, uh, was with the Chicago White Sox, the Chicago Bulls, Orlando. As I said, we could go on and on and on. He was with the Magic for over 30 years, I know, and uh, you know, just a terrific guy. How did you first meet Pat Williams? Well, Mac, this is going to be a history lesson in the world of sports. I love just it. because of the, the, the his demeanor, his book writing, his kids. I mean, think about it. They just turned 81 and uh, exciting, but it's going to be a history lesson. But I met uh, Pat, uh, when the Philadelphia 76ers was trying to get me to come out of school and Houston had a flip. So as everyone recalls, Moses Malone was in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. He was traded to Houston or actually from Houston to Philadelphia. And then they ended up winning the championship. So anyway, Houston ended up with the pick of the first pick. Philadelphia had the first pick in the draft. And I was, if I would have came out or wouldn't come out, I would have got to play in Philadelphia with Julius Irvin, Caldwell Jones. Henceforth, they knew I would may not come out, so they just gambled, uh, stopped gambling on me coming out, and and then got Moses Malone, and ended up winning the title in 1983 against the Los Angeles Lakers. So we go way way back when they was trying to recruit me out of uh, UVA to the NBA. Yeah, because he was he was with the Sixers for about 12 years, and then uh, as their general manager, talking about Pat Williams, and he. They won the 82-83 NBA season. They, uh, but he worked a trade with Julius Irving and Moses, and he drafted Maurice Cheeks and Andrew Tony. Yes. You know, yeah, to he, put that together. So to put that whole team together, and it, it was an amazing ride because, you know, Philly was always pretty good, competitive, but they just couldn't beat the East. They couldn't beat Boston. They couldn't get out of the East to get to the championship, even with Julius Irving. So Moses was a key because he was the rebounder that they needed, that somebody could clog up the middle and dominate what you did. 
And then you get Andrew, Tony, and Mo Cheeks, and the rest is history. I mean, Mac, Mark Alvaroni was on that team. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, then, and, and Pat's migration is so – the story gets so much better. As I said, he'll be, he'll be on with us in just a little bit because as he's now working to come to Orlando, but he's telling – you know, he's telling David Stern, look, Orlando deserves a franchise. Yeah. We need an NBA franchise there, just like now where he's working on bringing baseball to uh, to Orlando. They've got the name and everything. But, I mean, the viability of, of bringing a team. And so he was, I think, what, they're over 30 years, something like that. Um, you 35 know, years. Retire, but- 32, 35 years in Orlando with the Magic and, you know, bringing that team there with Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway, yeah. that whole crew. Imagine that, you know, in, in, in Orlando, Disney World. I mean, definitely deserved the team, and they got one built there. Now they got to keep it going and try to build a, a championship team. But he brought all that to Orlando, which is still an amazing story. And here's the thing of his of – his, I know he's written over 100 books. I don't know what the number is. But I know that uh, a lot of the books are based on people that he's worked with, GMs and coaches, and he'll have a lot to say uh about that but now he studies it and he and he speaks it so um he's got a new book out called revolutionary leadership we'll get into that we'll go to break we'll come back uh the one the only pat williams is our guest today on center court so i'll say stay with us this is the winner's circle network the mission for the samson family foundation is simple we strive to uplift empower and educate the communities we live in the foundation promotes charitable and community input educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. John Wood, Coach Wood, wasn't just good to people. He was great to people, this guy said to me. He wasn't just good to people. He was great to people. Uh, That's a good attribute of people-oriented leaders. This is Center Court, presented by the Winner's Circle Network in association with the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome in on the Winner's Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. As we told you in our open, uh, we are pleased today to have just an absolute icon. I, I don't even know... Ralph, if I could put in words who is our guest today, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of follow along with all the, all the places he's been. But it's his birthday, so we do have to say happy birthday to Mr. Pat Williams, uh, who is truly uh, 100 books now, Pat. It's over 100 that you've written? Well, Mac, actually, it's, it's one, uh, <laughs> 117. Wow, it is a few, yeah. The most recent one is just out this week. It's called Revolutionary Leadership. And uh, what we do is uh, look at the men and women who led during the Revolutionary War period. And, uh, well, without them, we wouldn't have a country. Uh, These are uh, men and women who many are famous. Yes, and and the large bulk of them came from Virginia. 
Uh, think about it for a minute. Mm -hmm. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, Patrick Henry, and oh boy, it's fascinating uh, the role that Virginia played in the start of this nation. Anyway, I'd, I'd love to write about leadership. And so on this one, we looked at the leadership qualities of these different men and women and what they did uh, under very stressful conditions uh, in leading the start of this nation. And without them, without their courage, without their leadership skills, we would not have a country today. Awesome. What was, what was it about the topic of leadership and Ralph, when Ralph started the show, you know, when he called, he said, we're going to do the show and we're going to focus on leadership. Ralph was very, what, what is it about leadership that drives you? Well, everything rises and falls on leadership. It always has, it always will. Uh, we live in a nation and we live in a world where leadership uh, is the key, uh, whether it's a company or whether it's a nation or whether it's a sports team or a school or a church. Uh, ultimately, uh, everything rises and falls on what those leaders do. And so it's important uh, that we study leadership and we understand leadership uh, because everybody tuned in here is a leader of some sort, either in the home, uh, in uh, local sports or in the community, in their business, that every, every one of us is a leader. Uh, and so it's important that we know what, what uh, true leadership looks like. And by the way, Mac, you know what would be fascinating uh, is to have Ralph reflect on the leaders that uh, were part of his life, his high school coach, mm -hmm. yes, sir. Uh, his coach at Virginia, uh, who, who, in, who in the pro ranks. You know, it would be fun to sit and just have Ralph do a whole show reflecting on the impact that leaders had on his life and his career. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll def definitely do that, Mac. I can tell you right now, Coach, that uh, obviously my high school coach is very special to me. He, without him, I wouldn't be here. Obviously, my parents and their leadership role, uh, from that perspective, and the, and the list goes on and on. But to you, what? Because I know the '76 is in Orlando. You've been in this space for many years, books and family, etc. From a from a leadership role. What are the three or four characteristics that makes you a good leader from not only the sports arena, but the household? Ralph, I think leadership always begins with one word, and that word is vision. Uh, the best leaders are visionary. They, they see farther down the road than the rest of us. They see clearly in their mind the finished product. And then they have the ability to work backwards, putting the pieces in place to turn that vision into reality. Right. And when you study great leaders, well, that's what they did. George Washington, for example, uh, during those eight years of the revolution, he saw a new nation in his mind. That's, that's what kept him going. Um, Abraham Lincoln, his vision uh, was one nation, not two or three or four smaller ones. He's, he had that vision and that's what kept him going. So uh, leaders uh, by and large are, are visionaries. And Ralph, there's a second component that comes right after that. And that's the ability to communicate your vision. Right. Uh, and, and great leaders understand how to be clear, how to be concise, how to be correct, and how to be consistent in their communication. Be clear. 
be, be correct. Be uh, consistent in what you're communicating. Uh, leadership generally gravitates, I think, to the man or woman who can talk. <laughs> that's, that's, that's generally who gets elected to office and generally who gets the ceo post or uh, becomes the head coach or the uh, high school principal the ability to communicate verbally so those are two thoughts that come to mind quickly uh, when when i think about leadership vision and communication and and uh, we discuss that in this new book and um, talk about some of these leaders who were visionaries uh, back in the day. How do you do that in the sports world, Mac? I mean, this, I mean, Philly, you know, because, you know, you got different characteristics, different people in the sports world, right? Philly and Orlando, different characters, right? I mean, the Barclays, the Irvings, the Shaquille Nils, you've been able to build two different NBA franchises and sports all over the country but with different mindsets of different people. How do you bring, I know, clear vision and clear communication, but when you got characters like Charles Barkley and anybody else, how do you keep that, that, that cohesive group together with, within the sports world? Oh, Ralph, what, a, what, what, a, <laughs> what an interesting question. You know, I have been around. Well, let me go back to the, my, my very beginning in Chicago, the Bulls, uh, where we had uh, the great Jerry Sloan in our backcourt with Norm Van Leer. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jet Walker and Bob Love were the forwards. Tom Borwinkle, the, the, uh, the great passer in the middle. Um, and I've been around some very, very interesting coaches. I, I, Jack Ramsey. Oh, yeah. Dick Mata. Um, Cotton Fitzsimmons. Gene Shue. Billy Cunningham. Chuck Daly. Uh, Doc Rivers. Um, and, and, and others. And uh, it's fascinating. I think, I, Ralph, I think they have the ability, by and large, uh, to deal with people, to get along with people, to, to, to not perfectly, but to, to understand people. And, and when you get down to the core of, of, of Charles and Shaq, oh, yes. they, they, they were people people. They enjoyed people. They enjoyed being around people. Uh, they had the ability to relate to people. Uh, I think that was, and that doesn't get discussed much, but I think it, I think it was there. And they had, uh, they had uh, really outgoing personalities, but I think deep in their heart, they cared about people. And I think they still do to this day. Uh, I know, I know, I know, listen, the, 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 the things that Shaq has done for people that never get in the headlines is pretty astounding. And uh, Charles the same way. So yeah. I think that's the best way I can, I can handle that question. I know Shaq and Charles a little bit and their characteristics are similar because of being on TNT and, uh, and Turner Sports and doing a conversation. But one story, like we'll go to, to, to your story. Shaq was in uh, one of the cities they played with, right? And then he saw a house he wanted to buy and somebody owned the house. He knocked on the door and said, I'm going to buy that house. <laughs> the guy said, no. Shaq said, I'm going to give you this amount of money. The guy said, yes. <laughs> and then, when he left, when he left that city, he gave the house back for no money. He just well, gave the house back. And that's the type Ralph, of guy he is. Ralph Shaq uh, is a unique guy. And you know, it's amazing. Uh, here he is, uh, what, 10 years past his retirement or something like that, eight years. And he's, he's as visible today. More, uh, as more. it was when he was playing, I can't count the number of 
uh, companies that he endorses from from pizza to um, insurance. Office, yeah, car insurance. <laughs> printers office, and office, office Depot. I mean, going to an Office Depot, there's this big giant cutout of Shaq <laughs> uh, with some copying machine. I mean, it's just amazing uh, how visible he remains and how popular he is with these companies. Uh, it's quite a story. So uh, Shaq is a real study. Someday, uh, some author is going to dig deeply into his life and, uh, and really come up with the ultimate book on Shaquille O'Neal because he's still very, very relevant to this day. And most, and mo most athletes, uh, long after the retirement, you know, that's not the case. Uh, but Shaq's different. And uh, so is so Sir Charles. Charles has always had that personality, Ralph. I mean, oh, absolutely. We drafted him in Philadelphia in 1984 uh, out of Auburn. He was 21 years old. That was the Olajuwon Michael Jordan draft. Yeah. And, uh, and you were right in the middle of that, Ralph. Um, the year before. You, you had gone to Houston the year before, and now he's Houston <clears throat> in, the, uh, in the coin flip again, and they – dive down to the bottom and all of a sudden they win the coin flip. And now what do they do? Samson and Olajuwon, Samson and Michael Jordan. But, and, and Ralph, that, that discussion is going to go on as long as the game is played. And uh, Houston elected to, to take Olajuwon and match up these two seven foot giants. And uh, boy, it was fascinating. Talking about uh, a work ethic. We're talking about maturity in leadership. That's a part of character. And maybe the most important thing of all is influence. Influence, really, when you get down to it, may be the key attribute of character-based leaders. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back to Center Court with Ralph Sampson and the Winter Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald. Our guest is the one, the only Pat Williams, a uh, longtime general manager. Uh, the resume is is too long, and it's the Sixers and the, of course, Orlando Magic, and being with the Chicago Bulls and being involved in baseball. With all, Pat, with your your sports background, which is just massive. Okay, when you interviewed a coach or a front office person. How could you tell they were going to be a good leader? Well, I'm not sure you can. Um, <laughs> you don't know quite how that coach is going to fit uh, with the personnel that you've got, the, you know, and uh, will the chemistry be there? But uh, I, I think one thing I have learned, uh, and that is, Hire a coach that you can get along with. <laughs> uh, hire a coach that uh, you can sit down and have lunch with occasionally. And, 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 and that seems to be obvious, but, but uh, there's, all, there, there's usually this sense of division between the coach and the GM. Mm -hmm. they, somehow they've got to get along. But, but, but the coach, his concern is tonight. He's got to win a game tonight. Uh, the GM, uh, well, yeah, he wants to win tonight, but he also wants to win 
three years from now and five years from now. So he's, he's looking towards the future as well as tonight. The coaches got blinders on. Got a ball game tonight. Mm. Got to win it. <laughs> my, my job hangs on this. <laughs> and, and oftentimes there's going to be friction. Mm-hmm. I'm following this situation and I'm, I'm not privy to it, but there's a situation right now with the Indiana Pacers yeah. uh, with his new coach. And we're reading about this report that he is not getting along well, you know, and uh, coach players don't like the way he addresses them. And there's friction with the front office. Mm. Uh, it's not unusual. So in answer to your question, Mac, um, is this guy got the ability uh, to get along with people? Uh, can he handle adversity? And what's going to happen when you lose seven in a row? Uh, how is he going to deal with it? How is he, how is he going to be with the media? Is he going to throw everybody under the bus when things start going poorly? So you never really know, but, uh, well, let me put it this way, Mac. You can never do enough interviewing. You can never do enough background checks. You can get en- never get enough references. Uh, I tell people with companies, hire very slowly. Mm-hmm. Don't rush. Uh, organizations get in trouble when they rush the hiring process. Be, be, be as thorough as you can. And um, I, 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 I'm just kind of reflecting here off the top of my yes, head, sir. but that, that, that's what comes to mind. And I, um, I've been very fortunate, as I mentioned, uh, Ralph, to have been around a whole, whole league of uh, Hall of Fame coaches. And I was able to study uh, in depth, you know, each one of them. And uh, I could, I could probably write a book on that. I, I think so. I think that's so. one nineteen. Then we got one. I think so. <laughs> and, and, and on that topic, Mac, mm-hmm. uh, it would be great, Ralph. Uh, uh, who were your pro coaches? Do you remember each one? Who were they? Yeah. Well, so I got drafted to Rockets in '83, and Bill Fitch was my first Ooh. NBA head coach. And the story that resonates with me, well, what you're saying is this: so I'm, I'm coming in. Uh, number one pick, whatever, and down the stretch, the last 20-something, they, we want, they want to lose to get the number one pick. I'm like, okay, great. So I get benched, uh, and I'm like, okay, why am I not playing? So I had some wildly vets, Elvin Hayes, Caldwell Jones, Alvin Level, Major Jones, Tommy Henderson, and Calvin Murphy. Yeah. And they say, look, we, they just want to lose. I'm like, why? Why do we want to lose? And then so I, I got the politics of it, and Elvin Hayes was in his last year. And I had watched Elvin as a young guy and the Bullets and the Withers, et cetera, et cetera. And he needed so many minutes to get his bonus. So we go to Kansas City, and Elvin needs about 15, 20 minutes of game time, right, to get his bonus. So I started the game, and I, I twisted my ankle so Elvin <laughs> could play because we weren't going to win anyway. But he needed a ball. So they taught me the game of basketball from the from the politics and the management side at that point. The second year, obviously, as you remember, just alluded to, we we, we drafted Kim Olajuwon because we were not that good. And the third year, we go to the finals. And I and my second year, 
I'm like, Bill Fitch, turn us loose. Just, I mean, we, we, we're ready. Turn us loose. And he said, no, we can't turn you loose yet. We, we're not ready to win yet. And the guys on the, on the bench said, he's not going to turn you loose. So we would go on the court and just play. I mean, we found out really quickly through the, the likes of a Caldwell Jones that he can't control what you do on the court. You know, he can take you in and out of the game, but we turned it loose in my third year, as you may remember, with no point guards. A lot of point guards went down on drugs, and we created the point forward with Ryan McCray and Robert Reed and mm. the rest of history out there. But Bill Fitch, I would sit beside him and could see things before he could see it. And he's like, how do you know that? I said, because you made me come to Houston. And when I got there in rookie camp, I had to sit with him every day during rookie camp and watch videotapes of Larry Bird, Robert Paris, and Kevin Kelly. And, <laughs> and, his, and his condo right beside the arena. I'm like, okay, why well, am I watching this? I want to play against these guys and beat them. But it taught me a lot about the game of basketball, but also taught me his mentality. And then fortunately he got in the Hall of Fame and, so I'm really proud that he did that and taught me a lot about the game of basketball at the, at the NBA level. And Ralph, Bill Fitch is still living. Still living. Uh, he's in Houston. He's, yeah. uh, elder, he's elderly now, but uh, he's still in Houston. Who knows? He, he may be watching. And if so, Coach Fitch, exactly. uh, yeah, so we, we, we greet you. And uh, let, we laughed at your jokes. We laughed at your one-line <laughs> humor. <laughs> You're right about that. <laughs> but the, the, the better one was, uh, you mentioned early, that never coached basketball was Dick Mata. Dick Mata was a football coach, right? So he never really had a basketball background, but he he had a different, unique style of play. And uh, I learned a lot from him as well. And then the best I think I ever had was Don Nelson. You ended up with the Warriors, right, on the yep. West Coast? I did. Played for, played for Nelly. Yep. George Carl and Don Nelson, that was a treat. And then we had a love-hate relationship, but over the years, we built something special, especially with his son, Donnie. And then we go into the Hall of Fame together. And uh, that was very special for me. Well, that's great. And Donnie is still at it. He's uh, the GM of the Dallas Mavericks, <clears throat> still working. And Nelly is in a very comfortable retirement out in Hawaii. In Hawaii, doing, <laughs> he's making watches or whatever he's making. But he's in Hawaii hanging out with a, with a beard and hair down to his back with his neck and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of weird um, to say it out there in pineapple country. Good for yes, him. he is. Uh, our guest is Pat Williams. His book, Revolutionary Leadership, Essential Les Lessons from the Men and Women of the American Revolution. I love the take on coaches. I love to study them. Uh, good. Get a good picture of it. And uh, and Pat, I love the like the Nick Sabans and the Bill Belichicks and their, their take on the process and the next seven seconds and day by day. Football coaches, basketball coaches, is their makeup the same or is there a big difference? Between. Oh, I think there is a difference because they uh, they have different objectives. They play just one game a week, uh, whereas uh, NBA coaches are coaching three, three, sometimes four games a week. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a loss in football, I mean, it just is is devastating. <laughs> in basketball, it it hurts, but uh, you've got another game in twenty four or forty eight hours. But in football, that loss stays with you the whole week. Plus, you've got, what do you have? You've got 60-some players compared to 12, 13. Uh, I just read recently that Urban Meyer up in, up in Jacksonville taking over has hired 27 coaches <laughs> under him. Now, now, when I started in 1960, 
it, when I started in 1968, Jack Ramsey was the coach. There were no assistants. And then when I got to Chicago, Dick Mata was the coach. No, no assistants. Then uh, eventually, you know, you, you had one assistant mm. who, who generally would peel off in the winter and do the college scouting. And then eventually we hired this and another one. And now most teams have seven assistants, 27 coach. Can you imagine Mac, the um, just the responsibility and organizing that and then yeah. having these 27 coaches, you know, lined up properly and uh, reporting back to the head coach and all. I mean, that is the, that, that's a CEO job. Yeah. I yeah, think that's the big difference. I think football yeah. coaches, CEOs, and and maybe college basketball coaches are uh, presidents of the company. You know, <laughs> they've got a, a simpler alignment. Yeah, when I when I was at Houston, we had eighteen people in the front office total, eighteen counting coaches and staff. Well, now they got four hundred and thirty. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. All the social media. I mean, so it, it's, it's it's definitely managing a herd of people for sure. It's interesting you say that. I would like to write a book called The Reluctant Leader, because I think there are many of them. For, for some reason yeah. or another, uh, they're reluctant to step up. Uh, there's always a reason. Or they're reluctant to uh, be a lifelong learner, or, or, or all of the above. I want to write that book. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back to the Winter Circle Network and Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Great to have you on this uh, on this day with Pat Williams, former Orlando executive, former GM of the Bulls and Sixers. And when you got started, Pat, in the early 60s and you were around, I know you had to be around a guy named Bones McKinney, who to me was just an absolute institution when I was at Wake. What was your take on Bones? And I have a feeling you studied leadership for a long time. What was your take on Bones? Well, I first saw Bones when I was in high school. I uh, lived in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, on two different uh, Decembers, drove down from Wilmington to Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, my uncle uh, was a pastor in the eastern part of North Carolina, he got tickets to the Dixie Classic, <laughs> uh, the famous Poet yeah. Christmas tournament. And uh, Wake Forest was there with uh, Jackie Murdoch, Ernie Wiggins, Lefty Davis and all that crew. And this guy popping up off the bench, assistant coach, Murray Greason was the head coach, but this big, tall, lanky guy was just an absolute, it was hysterical to watch, just to watch Bones, the, the assistant. Well, eventually he became the head coach. And when I arrived there in the fall of 58, he had just recruited Lenny Chapel. He had just recruited Billy Packer and, and others. And uh, this was Bones's finest coaching hour uh he was colorful he was quick with a quip yeah. uh he was uh he was funny he was intense uh he uh he wanted to win his players played hard for him and they uh, they care they like bones they were they were fond of bones and and uh, to this day you know billy packer can fill up an hour just with bones mckinney's story sure uh, but but he was he was a legend and uh, he had played uh, college ball during the post war and then got into the NBA. Originally he was a he was a player in the league, 
And uh, then he became Pastor Bones McKinney and he became <laughs> Coach McKinney and fabulous. Was fabulous. This, now, was the this... players always, oh, they didn't, they didn't, never called him Bones. He was always Coach McKinney. Mm-hmm. And he earned their respect. And uh, listen, many people came to the games just to watch Bones, you know, his, his antics on the bench. He was tall, what, 6'6", six, six, lean. Um, he'd kick his feet around and kick his loafers off one night. You know, he kicked a loafer out onto the court in the game. And <laughs> was the story of the seatbelt true? The seatbelt yeah. on the bench? They put a seatbelt in there for him. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, he, but he kicked his shoe one night out on the court and then went running out to get it. And somebody once said to him, what, 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 what were you doing when you were out there, Bones? He said, I was playing defense. Uh, <laughs> he was trying to serve somebody. He said, I was playing defense out there. <laughs> so they're, uh, they're, they're Bones McKinney uh, stories that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the famous one, Lou Bellow was the, the long-time oh. ACC referee. Everybody remembered Lou Bellow. And, Absolutely. And, and, and Bones was barking at him and, Said Lou, you're so out of it, you don't even know what the score is. <laughs> Bella barked back, said, "Yeah, I do, Bonesy." He said, "We got you by seven. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Somebody, there was, yeah, there, the Lou Bella story. Somebody, one of the coaches said, "I'm going to take that basketball and da da da, where the sun don't shine." He goes, "Do me a favor, take the air out of it first or something." I just remember, yeah, Bella was a character. Yeah, he, and he and he did. He umpired baseball. Yeah. Well, I remember that one one day we're I'm, we're playing wakes over at NC State. It's, I think it was my junior year. Uh, and and who comes to the plate but Roman Gabriel, oh. who who played two sports. He was mm-hmm. he was a baseball star as well. And uh, Bob Clemens was our pitcher, and he uh, I don't know it was two two count, and he threw a pitch right on the corner. I mean, it was right there for a third strike. And, and Lou Bellow calls it a ball. <laughs> and I, I part now, now let's, that was probably 61. Let's mm-hmm. go out 10 years. I'm in Philadelphia with the Sixers come down for that uh, uh, ACC uh, Christmas game where they all four schools played there. Mm-hmm. Lou Bellow sees me. I'm sitting on the court. He sees me and he leans over and says, I still say it was a ball. <laughs> <laughs> so he hadn't forgotten. No. Oh, he, he, would, oh, he was something. That's so good. Yeah, it is great. That's great. So all those stories are amazing, obviously. And, and I always ask, there's something out there that you never told anybody. What stories, like, which one of your favorite ones? Because it's not just the sports. It could be your wife. It could be family and kids. But there's something that motivates you every day. To even today, what is it? Because, you know, your story, career, and history, but you get up every day and still go at it trying to put a baseball team in Orlando. So what is it inside of you that you have that's, I call it the itch factor? Ralph, I think as long as you have a pulse. <laughs> okay. You have a purpose. Okay. And, and, I, and, I, and as, God, as long as God keeps us around, uh, I don't think he wants us just to sit back and reflect and, and, uh, and, and just w- watch daytime television. So as long as our heart is beating, uh, there's a purpose to our life. And if your health is good, 
I think the best years of your life should be from the 80s to the 90s. If your health is good, you've got wisdom. Your children are raised. You don't have day-to-day responsibilities. Your grandchildren, you know, are probably raised at this point. Uh, you, you may not be working at, at a company, but boy, you've, you've got so much to offer. And, and I think you just can't, uh, I don't think God wants us just sitting back and saying, 80 years was enough. You know, I'm not going to do anymore. I'm not going to contribute anymore. I still have 44 books that I want to write. I'm working on um, polishing up being a public speaker. And the big one is, um, how do we get Major League Baseball to Orlando? Orlando is now the 18th largest media market in the country. Mm-hmm. It's the largest media market that doesn't have a Major League Ball Club or, the, or an NFL team. It's soon going to be 17 catching Denver. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking on that job to try and convince the major leagues that this, this is where they need to be. What are they saying to you? Well, we, this, we tried, we've tried two other times to get Major League Baseball here. The first one in 91, they went to Miami. Then in 95, they went to St. Pete. And uh, we, we kept yelling, you know, no, no, no. The future of Florida is right here in Orlando in the central part of the state. Mm-hmm. This is where the, the major growth is. This is where uh, eventually there are going to be 100 million tourists who come in, in one year. Uh, before the COVID, it was 78 million people who came here. You think 2% might want to go to a ball game one night? <laughs> what do they say? Uh, right now, uh, we're watching the situation in St. Pete very carefully. After this year, they have six years left on their lease. The city of St. Pete has said, we need that land. We're clearing it all out to develop downtown St. Petersburg. The Rays are going to have to be somewhere, somewhere else. Uh, we're not doing this publicly. Oh, it, it, except I just did, didn't I? <laughs> we never, we have it's no okay. idea. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, but um, we're, we're, we're getting ready. And, and, and where the Rays will be in uh, opening day of April of, of uh, twenty eight. Uh, because at that point, the lease is finished, the ballpark is being torn down. Where will they be for the opener of April of 28th? Ooh. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to the Orlando Rays. Well, yeah. we're, right, right now, we're the Orlando Dreamers. I love it. Throwing out the first pitch, Mr. Pat Williams. I love it. <laughs> well, and Ralph Sampson has come down. He's Ralph has come down. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be the Ralph, t- tallest pitcher you ever had. Ralph, Ralph's going to come, and uh, what you don't want is to get a seat right behind him. That would not be <laughs> No, you don't want to do that. I'll sit back uh, behind the plate. Yeah, we're, we're going to have Ralph sit in a, in a suite somewhere, so he's not going to block the vision. <laughs> yeah. Pat, we had a uh, next week, we have John Grisham with us, who's just written a great basketball book called Yes, I, see, I saw it in the store. My point being is is that Grisham works like a dog to get one book a year. Where do you get the, where do you find it? The key is um, uh, number one, uh, an idea for a book. Okay. Uh-huh. They, and, and, and they're, if you get into this, they, they're flowing all the time, but <clears throat> you can have the greatest idea in the world, but you've got to find a publisher that agrees with you. <laughs> And says yes, we'll we'll take a risk on that. And there is risk with every book that's written. You know, the risk is is anybody going to buy it? 
uh, is it going to sell? Because the publisher puts a lot of in, a lot of money in to get it ready to go to market, <clears throat> and then and they've got to gamble. Does is somebody going to buy this? So the ideas are there; they're they're flowing, and <clears throat> and you never know where the next one's coming along. Mm-hmm. In other words, this book came out. Right. We took we took these thirty leaders in the Revolutionary War period, uh, who who primarily were so courageous. I, I have another idea. How, how about doing one on the Civil War period? Oh, yeah. The, the, another courageous leadership. You could do the same book with World War II. And I think you could do the same book with the Civil Rights Movement. Absolutely. These, Dr. King, of course. But, but who are these other people? What do we know about them? What are the life lessons we can take? So there might be a series here. Uh, and, and I hadn't thought about that. But then it hit me the other day. This might extend but the key is <laughs> mac does this one sell yeah absolutely so so i mean so there's gonna be no series unless this one does well <laughs> okay so where do people buy that at let's tell people out there where do they buy that at because the key well, is Ralph, selling. let me let me tell you what you do you get in your car and you drive to barnes and noble <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple or, <laughs> or you drive to uh Books a million. Yes. Unfortunately, the third B went out of business a while back called Borders. Yes. Uh, we don't want that to happen with these other two B stories. So go there. So go get the book. Um, last the other, qu- final question. Mac, the other thing is go oh, up I'm to sorry. Amazon. What a fun way to order. Just, mm, yeah. and, then, and then that little Amazon truck comes to your front door. Yeah. There you go. And, and, and it's like you give yourself a Christmas present every time you have them drop something off. Um, Coach, I, I'm going to buy one, send to your autograph, and send you a stamp back. I'm going to, I want to get one. So, Ralph, I, I want to, I want an autograph copy. Attaboy. boy, sounds good to me. We'll do a no, final no. question, Pat, and it, it will tie it into your book, Revolutionary Leadership: Lessons from the Men and Women of the American Revolution. Would Thomas Jefferson been a good coach? Uh, probably not. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Thomas Jefferson um, was not very good at communicating verbally mm-hmm. was uncomfortable doing it he didn't enjoy it uh, that was not his strength his strength in communication was writing yeah and the and the reason they picked him to write the declaration of independence was john adams stepped right up and said he's a better writer than any of the rest of us <laughs> and at that point he, he was a young man he was in his mid-30s 33 somewhere in there when he when he wrote you know, in that hot summer up in Philadelphia, sitting in a boarding room, he wrote this magnificent document. But as far as uh, a coaching, no, Thomas, uh, he, he was kind of retiring. I don't think he would have enjoyed it. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking Patrick Henry. He, Patrick Henry probably would have been a good NBA coach. He, he'd have been like Hubie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he'd have, he'd have been down there on the bench barking, you know, uh, letting letting everybody hear his voice, um, and so I think I think it's fun to think about those things. Be, hey, Mac, before we leave, uh-huh. I, I I don't want anybody to forget uh, what a what an outstanding uh, basketball player Ralph Sampson was. Oh, we know. Uh, back in the early eighties, um, you know, 83, This guy. 
with Patrick Ewing at Georgetown, dominated dominated the college basketball scene, and 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 the quest to get him among NBA teams was intense, and and the thought was Ralph, come on out, you know we're going we're to be picking high and. We want you in Philadelphia and Red Auerbach's thinking, you know, this young man belongs in Boston. And so, <laughs> but Ralph confounded them all when he said, I'm staying at, in Charlottesville. Yeah. I like yeah. it here. I want to get my degree. I'm, I'm playing all four years. Can you imagine? Yeah. No, that doesn't happen today. Now, Pat, three time, he, he is, and he will be the last three time college basketball player of the year. No doubt. And as good as he was on the floor, Ralph Sands is the better person. So. Well, you know what happened with Ralph? He, he's uh, he's he's come out. You know, in, in his college days, he was he was quiet. He was reserved. You didn't hear much from him. But he's he's developed into a very poised man, mm-hmm. uh, very articulate, and, and handles himself beautifully. It's a great story. Yeah, he tells his staff every day that same thing. So just so you know. <laughs> you know, he's great. Ra- Ra- Ralph Sampson in college, you know, could not have done doing now no but he's developed this this nice confidence and uh, way of expressing himself he's a special guy pat thank you so much thank you guys good to be with you talk to you soon ralph all right take care center court on the winter circle network rolls on we'll be right back after this to get into sports casting you need experience just to get your foot in the door i can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me how do i get into your business how do i become a sportscaster The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back. Final segment on the Winner's Circle Network. This is Center Court with uh, Ralph Sampson. By the way, for more content and information on Center Court, you can follow us on at Center Court Podcast 50 at Ralph Sampson 50 on all social media platforms. I'm worn out. I'm just totally exhausted, Ralph. I, the information was unbelievable and so much fun. And uh, I'm going to remember, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. That's going right above my computer, I think, in my office. <laughs> How good was that, huh? Well, Mac, we could have stayed on there for you know hours to talk to him about in-depth things from, I mean, 117, 18 books and even got more book ideas during the yeah. show, right? So it's even crazy. He has 40 or so more that he still wants to do. And so that's amazing. So Pulse for the Purpose is amazing. I'm going to use that as well. But the stories could have gone on and on for hours. So I look forward to maybe getting it back one day, maybe with some, a Julius Irving, I mean, a combination of the two, because I can only imagine those stories that they have. I can't wait to see what happens. Somebody listens to our show. The headline comes out Monday. 
Pat Williams I, uh, sports icon says Thomas Jefferson would have been a terrible coach. <laughs> Hey, I mean, you suppose that, that's going to make a headline. That's going to make a head in Charlottesville for sure, right? I don't know. I mean, people that know UVA, like, okay, oh. he, built a, he built a university, but he couldn't coach basketball. I don't know. That's so that's so good. Um, before we go, I know Stick's got a big event coming up. We, we certainly want to plug it. The Horizons Edge Sports Campus uh, is going to be hosting the inaugural Puma Ralph Sampson Invitational and Combine. I love how you're doing a a tournament and a combine stick. What's going on at the end of May? Yeah, we figured we'd do a, a combine. That everybody loves tournaments, but it's a special tournament, uh, Memorial Day weekend. But a, a combine, a lot of kids are not being recruited like they normally do with colleges going to, into the basketball world. So we give the kids the opportunity to come get like an NBA combine, get tested, perform a little bit, and we're inviting coaches to watch them play as well. So that's part of what we do with Samson Basketball Academy. We all about education, academics, nutrition, health, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff as well. So I'm excited about this event and more events to come this year. And how do, how can they sign up? How can people find out about it, Stick? Well, they go. We're launching our, our website next week, SampsonBasketballAcademy.com. But you go to HorizonEdge.com uh, as well and look up uh, the Puma Ralph Sampson Invitational. We'll put in our link in social media. Uh, it's coming out as well where people can go sign up to check it out. But it's going to be a fun event. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald. From the Winner's Circle Network, that is Center Court for this week. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast. So you turn all those retro notes into Jira tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.